You're listening to Oodles of Financial Advice with Jeremy Oodle. I mean, Udell. Jeremy is a certified financial planner. He's licensed in Florida to sell insurance. He has Series 7, 24, and 65 securities licenses. And he's here to give you Oodles of Financial Advice. I recently talked to a prospect who told me back in March of 2020, when the stock market was dropping like a stone, they got really scared and they sold half of their investments into cash. But they told me they were pretty pleased with their response because once the market started coming back, they took that cash and bought back into the market. And overall, their account was flat in the calendar year of 2020. So they didn't lose any money making that decision. It's funny how our brain works, though, isn't it? Because I wanted to make sure I understood. When you say you didn't lose any money, you mean your account was about flat for that year? He said, yeah. So, you know, my account didn't go down at all in 2020. I said, that's interesting. Are you aware the market was actually up 17% for the calendar year 2020? He said, well, I understand that markets can go up and down. I said, no, no, no. Most accounts that were left alone in 2020 went up. He said, well, I was just scared. And what would you do if you saw half of your money going away? I need to live off that money, Jeremy. What was I supposed to do? Hello, everyone. Welcome back for your weekly bowl of oodles with me, Jeremy Udell. Today, I'm going to talk a little bit more about my book, Retire Happily Ever After. That story I just told is also in my book, and it's in chapter two, which discusses risk. And I'm going to start with that today because risks are interesting. Some of them you're really well aware of and can do your best to prepare for, but some of the scariest risks are the ones that we have no idea what's going to happen. And when it comes to our investments, it's things like COVID that come along. We have no idea how bad it's going to be, how long it will last, what it'll really do. How do we prepare for something like that? Or the financial bubble in 2008, when the market is dropping fast and we need that money to live off of, how do we prepare? Risks can be prepared for, both known and unknown. But it's much harder to prepare for those unknown risks. Today, I'm going to start by talking about some of the known risks when it comes to your retirement. Obviously, market volatility is a huge risk when it comes to your investments. But did you know that early in retirement, especially, is one of the major risks you're going to face? If you hit early negative returns in your retirement. In the first year or two or three of retirement, the market drops like it has in 2022. Well, that's a much bigger risk than if you have those same negative returns later in retirement. The problem becomes when you're living off of your assets, when you're taking distributions off of your assets and you have early negative returns, it can hugely impact your chance of success in retirement. There are ways to prepare for that, but you won't know if you need to prepare for that until you're already in retirement. So it's best to prepare in advance if you can. 
Another risk we're seeing a lot these days that people may not be fully aware of is longevity. The fact that people are living longer than a lot of them assume they will. When I ask people regularly, how long do you think you're going to live? 65-year-olds, I'll ask them, how long do you think you'll live? Most common answers I get are, I don't know, maybe 80, 85. But the truth is, the average life expectancy of a 65-year-old male tends to hover around 87 these days, according to many statistics. And for females, it's probably closer to age 88 or 89. And by the way, if you are a husband and wife, there's a very good chance that at least one of you is going to live past age 90. Well, if that's the case, but you're only planning your retirement to age 80, that's a huge gap in your planning. Are there ways to account for the possibility of living too long? Yeah, there are. Finally, another risk we're seeing is the fact that for the longest time, people have assumed a 4% withdrawal rate in retirement. Now, to understand what I'm saying there, I have to go back a little bit. What ends up happening for most people's retirement is that they have some forms of, let's call them recurring income, like social security, possibly a pension. And then they have savings that they're going to live off of. And the rule for a long time has been that you can take about 4% a year of your savings to safely live on. So if you have, just to make my math easy, a million dollars, you could take $40,000 a year. That's 4% of a million. Well, more recent studies, when you take into account lower interest rates that we've seen recently and longevity and things like that, have said it might be closer to 3% that's a safe withdrawal rate. And again, if you are taking 4% or greater withdrawals off of your savings and you live a long time, there's a good chance that you are possibly taking too much of your money to live off of. You might experience adverse market conditions. You might experience the sequence of returns risk I talked about earlier where we get those early negative returns. Making sure you're living off the right amount of your savings is very important. Then, of course, there are those other risks out there, the unforeseen ones that may take our investments and cut them in half quicker than we can do anything about them. And then we react with emotion to watching our investments drop and we sell when the market is low. And then as it starts to come back, we don't know when to buy back. So we wait and wait. And when we finally buy back in, we may have lost, like the person in my first example did, a 15 plus percent return for that year because we acted on the emotions of the risk we're facing. What can you do to plan for risk? Well, that's in chapter three of my book. If you'd like to reach out to me to talk about the risks you might be facing, you can call me 941-951-0443 or shoot me an email, jeremy at wealthenjoyment.com. Last year, Home Depot sold thousands and thousands of quarter-inch drill bits. But you want to know something? Not a single person who went into Home Depot to buy a quarter-inch drill bit wanted a quarter-inch drill bit. What they wanted was a quarter-inch hole. 
It just so happened that the drill bit and the drill that came with it were the best ways to get that hole. Chapter three of my book, Retire Happily Ever After, discusses the right tool for the right job. When we're thinking about drills, we're trying to make a hole. There might be other ways to create a hole, but the best way, as we all know, is to get a drill, get the right size drill bit, and drill that hole. What we have found is that when people are worried about having enough income to last as long as they live, they often are afraid of using the right tool because the right tool involves buying insurance. And the specific insurance product that offsets the risk of living too long in retirement, of the sequence of returns risk, of withdrawal rate risk, is often an annuity. But before I describe why that's the case, I want to talk a little bit about insurance. What I find interesting about insurance is people hate insurance. Especially when I bring up annuities, one of the first questions I get asked is the rate of return on the annuity. Okay, well, that's interesting. Why would that be? If it's the tool to generate income, why do you care about the return? If it's going to generate you an income you can't outlive, should it matter what the actual return is as long as you can afford to buy the income you need? The truth is we've been coached for years and years with investing our 401ks and our IRAs and our brokerage accounts that we need to earn a great rate of return to have more for retirement. What many of us don't realize is that once we reach retirement, what we need isn't a great rate of return. What we need is income. We run out of income when we stop working. We need those savings to generate income going forward. So in retirement, Income is really the outcome we're looking for. As such, an annuity makes a lot of sense because that's what it's geared to do, is provide an income stream you can't outlive. But it's an insurance product, right? And insurance is bad. To ask you if you agree with the proposition insurance is bad, I'd like to take you through an exercise here. In the state of Florida... Did you know that if you have paid off your mortgage, you can cancel your homeowner's insurance? The mortgage company requires you to keep it, but you're not required to after you've paid off your mortgage. Yet when I poll my audiences at live events to ask them if they've canceled their property insurance because they paid off their mortgages, most of them say no. Occasionally I'll hear yes, but most of them want to keep it for just in case. When I ask them what the rate of return is, on their homeowner's insurance, most of them give me a, a weird look. Like, well, why, it doesn't have a rate of return. I, I might never use it. It's probably zero, right? Yeah. Is that going to stop you from paying for the coverage? What if your house burns down? Is it great to know you saved a couple thousand dollars a year when you're staring at the ashes of your home? Of course not. Yet when we are talking about ensuring your income, ensuring your retirement, invariably, I get that question. What is the rate of return on the annuity? You know what? If you want the best rate of return, 
If you want to go keep scoring touchdowns when your team has already won the game, that's completely up to you. But I constantly try to advise people, take a look, see if it makes sense for you to really invest in income for your future that you can't outlive and what risks that might offset, like living too long, the sequence of returns, and market volatility, as well as some of those unforeseen risks like COVID that we talked about in the first segment. If you're interested in hearing more about that, please feel free to reach out to me. My number is 941-951-0443, and my email is jeremy at wealthenjoyment.com. I've got a hot take for you. I enjoyed Ant-Man Quantumania. That's right. I liked a movie that it seems like critics did not particularly enjoy. Although, 84% of the audience seemed to enjoy it. So I'm probably not that far out on my take. Some people don't like superhero movies. Some people don't like Star Wars movies. If you don't like those types of movies, don't go see Ant-Man because it had so much of both of those tropes. We had Paul Rudd reprising his role as Ant-Man. He has (laughs) now been in two Ant-Man movies, one Captain America movie, and two Avengers, well, one Avengers movie. And he's been in three of his own movies. And I find him to be just delightful. (laughs) He's such a good actor. He delivers his quips so comically that it's hard just not to love him. I thought Michelle Pfeiffer was great. I thought Michael Douglas was very enjoyable as always. And I really enjoyed the villain in this, Kang, the uh, Jonathan Majors who played him and who is reprising a similar role from the end of the Loki series, did a really compelling job of being a pretty scary bad guy and delivering his lines with gravitas. He was pretty scary, actually, because it really felt like he believed in his purpose. Yet, it's a little bit interesting to see where we go from here with Ant-Man. It was meant to set up a whole new chapter in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So for those of you who, like me, have seen pretty much everything that Marvel has put out, starting with Iron Man all the way back in 2008 up until now, you'll probably be very curious about this movie anyway and go see it because it's supposed to be a big moment for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, kicking off a new phase, phase five. However, if you just want to go see a fun, interesting movie... I still think you'll get a lot out of it. I feel like there's some great moments of father-daughter bonding between Ant-Man and his daughter, who is in this movie. I felt like there was some great action sequences. The final battle to me was so much fun. Visual treat for the eyes. I have read and seen enough reviews to know the problems they've had with it. And in all honesty, I can kind of understand where they're coming from with the way this movie was sort of all over the place and may not have felt as compelling as some of the previous movies. What's interesting to me, though, is that Marvel, in its first phase, 
with Iron Man, the first Captain America, the first Thor, and the Incredible Hulk, which was actually through Universal Pictures, but was supposed to be part of the overall universe. And Iron Man 2, before Avengers came out, it was also kind of a mixed bag, just like Marvel, I would say, has been recently. Yet the Avengers movie, when it came out in 2012, was an absolute all-timer. Fantastic movie. That first Avengers movie is just so good. The way it was constructed, the way they brought the team together. I am hopeful that even though these movies recently, including Thor Love and Thunder and Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, have been a little bit random in their overall enjoyability. I would say they were both enjoyable. I enjoyed them both, but I'm pretty easy when it comes to movies. What I will say about Ant-Man is that I feel like we may still be headed for a really good team-up movie down the line with these heroes, and we'll probably see some more great superhero movies along the way as well. Yeah, they've been up and down recently, but I still really enjoy going to Marvel movies, and for anyone else who likes Marvel movies, I recommend Ant-Man. That's it for the podcast. I want to thank my awesome producer, Megan Udell. He does such a good job with these podcasts. I also want to thank again my buddy, David Vizana, who came on a few weeks ago and did the episode Money in the Star Wars Galaxy. If you're looking for something a little different from my podcast, I highly recommend you check that one out. He and I went back and forth for quite a while on what makes a something valuable in the Star Wars galaxy. What are they even spending there? I recommend that, and it's probably true dessert compared to most of my podcasts, which I like to think of as a full meal with some good-for-you segments followed by just some interesting desserts along the way. If you are looking for more of me, please check out all the episodes of this podcast. I also have a YouTube channel. You can search for me at Udell in a Nutshell on YouTube. That's at Udell in a Nutshell on YouTube. And you'll find segments of this podcast as well as other videos that I've done on that channel. If you're interested in reading the rest of my book, Retire Happily Ever After, please reach out to me directly, Jeremy at WealthEnjoyment.com or Give us a call, 941-951-0443. I look forward to talking to you again soon when I'll have more oodles for your noodle.